Welcome to Study Isaiah, the podcast where we examine the language, context, and meaning of the book of Isaiah with Dr. Paul Wegner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and across from me is Paul Wegner, who's going to tell us the Hebrew word of the day. Oh, yes. And this time I did just do one word for you. <laughs> it's the word holy. And um, we're going we're gonna to see this in chapter six a lot. And it's going to be crucial to the whole book um, because that, do you remember that uh, title, the Holy One of Israel that occurs oh, yeah, about right. 25 times? Yeah. Um, it's, it becomes crucial to Isaiah because I think it just changes his life. I mean, it's that that so important to him. But the word means, uh, well, you, you, we know it means holy, but it also means set apart unto God. And mm. that's why I think that could be a really important thing for them. So it's it's stuff that because they're so holy, they're actually set apart to God. And, yeah. and, and when, when you say we get to, to chapter six. Set apart to God, like, yeah. what, is, what does the two in there mean? Well, set um, apart, like, uh, to be used to God, him kinda? and for him, yeah. It's related to, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, chapter six will be real clear when God says, who will go and who, will, yeah, yeah. who should I send? And, and he, or who will go for us and who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's that part, I think, that, that really, he, it's, it's not just that he's holy, but now he's being used by God because he is holy. Yeah. And I think that's important. Okay. So and that's our you, word for today. How do you oh. pronounce it? Um, Kadosh. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then um, in chapter <laughs> 6, 3 is the important one. He's talking about these seraphim. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In, in, in Hebrew, if you say something twice, it's for emphasis. If you say it for three times, that's like the epitome of holiness. Mm. So it's, it's really important that it is actually repeated that many yeah, times. Yeah, right, right. So, okay, so that's... That's our word for today. That's great. Yeah. I, I'm excited to get into this today. Good. This is a great chapter in Isaiah. This is probably one I'm most, I would imagine a lot of people are more familiar with this chapter probably than anything of chapter else. Chapter six. Yeah. yeah. Chapter, yeah. Chapter six. So last episode, we talked about the songs. Yes. Right. The beginning of chapter five and chapter 12, all of chapter 12. And that would be the song of the vineyard and the song of Thanksgiving. Yep. Yeah. And what's the difference between them? They're in different places in Isaiah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the difference, well, Song of Vineyard is pretty dark. Um, things are getting bad. And that's kind of where we get the metaphor that uh, um, this vineyard's been built, and then it, it, we're going to let it, the, the owner is going to let it go good. to pieces, basically, right? Yeah. Because uh, it's not producing good fruit. Good. So, so that it should it should be producing good fruit. Exactly. It was fertile, fertile well, ground, everything. You yeah. Know? I mean, if you look at it, the the, the owner did everything they could. Yeah. Remember we talked about eating, and he even put in a, a yeah the a wine, wine press, vat, a yeah, wine press, the wine, yeah. the wine vat. I, I think it's Some, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he built it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that shows you. They had Israel had everything, you know, mm. um, that God had given them all the blessings and everything of that. And it turned out that they were sour grapes, you know, yeah. uh, worthless grapes. Right. And then chapter 12 is the answer to that, how, yeah. how he's, they're praising God for restoring them and making them a, yes. a, a useful nation again and, yeah. a, and a good vineyard. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't use the word vineyard there, but it's, yeah, yeah, it yeah, talks yeah. about how God restored them and all. Yeah. So we covered okay. those two. And then we covered... Further inside the uh, palestrophe, right? Okay. And there were six well oracles. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, six well side? oracles on one side and one on yeah. the back side. Yeah. Excuse me. And then on the well oracles, or the six of them, if you remember, those were all talking about what Israel was like. Yeah. Then we get to chapter uh, 10, and yeah. it's talking about the well oracles Assyria. to Assyria. Right. Yeah. Right. Good. Mm -hmm. So the next thing we're going to get into is the uplifted hand oracles. And we have... Two, well, five, I guess, really, but yeah. two sections. Yeah. One kind of in uh, more the beginning half of the section and the uh, four in the end yeah. of this kind of, or closer to the end of the section. Yeah. And then we're getting to the center of this palestrophe, the most important part. Yeah. And we'll do the whole thing today, but we'll do the first chapter, yeah. right? Which is Isaiah's vision. We're getting into his vision, right? Yeah. And his calling. I call it calling commission. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you remember, yeah. that's, the, that's the, well, the first thing was his vision and yeah. then... He yeah, the response to it. Yeah, yeah. the response. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Well, maybe we should figure out what exactly an uplifted hand oracle is. Exactly. Yeah. Why don't we go to chapter uh, 5, verse 25? Okay, 25. 
you know, this one is interesting because it's kind of in the middle of the of the woe oracle because it goes from 24 all the way to 30. Mm-hmm. And usually they're at the end of it. Uh, what an uplifted hand oracle is, mm-hmm. is it sounds like God has already poured out punishment already okay. and the nation hasn't got it. So he's got his hand uplifted again, ready For to more. come down and spank oh. him again. Okay. <laughs> and, and this was interesting because he, it sounds like in 24, he has already poured out some judgment on them. But then when you get to 26, he's actually going to call for a distant nation. Remember that? And that's going to be Assyria right. to come. So I think what it is, is in the heart of this one, it's got two of the j- judgments that are happening. So when uh, the first one, he, he uh, pours out some judgment, then he's got to that place where he's got his hand lifted up, ready to come down again. Mm-hmm. And then he brings the Assyrians. Okay. So I think that's the reason why it's in the middle this time. Cause this one actually is what I would call a complete one. It's got, the right. first part, then that uplifted hand oracle, and then comes through with the Assyrians again. Yeah. So, okay. and, and that's kind of what all of them are going to do. Only all the other ones are going to have that uplifted hand oracle part that that talking about the hand still uplifted yeah. at the end. Okay. Now, what's interesting in this, I can't find this kind of an oracle anywhere else. So it seems like oh. it's only in the book of Isaiah, and. And it seems like, so it's unique to him. And not only that, but it's kind of unique in how he realizes what God is doing. You know, Mm. he's bringing some punishment. If Israel would have turned around, I think God would have stopped, right? right? Um, In chapter one, remember, remember he says, I can't, I can't even find any more places to beat you anymore because you're, you you know, I've I've beaten you everywhere from the top of your head to the sole of your foot. And, and there's no, it's all raw wounds and and bruises and all that. And so I think it's interesting in that. It sounds like this is this is more of a thing for Isaiah and his understanding that that God could stop it at any point, but Israel just keeps wandering on without without listening to God and and not obeying. Yeah, and that's the theme. Yeah, yeah. that's what you yeah, title right. it, right? You're, that's the, right. Your first slide: Will, will Israel obey? obey? <laughs> yeah. So, so far, not not much, yeah. not often. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's see what it says. Okay. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blown away. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the, the Holy One of Israel. Now there, remember I told you about that tar- term you're going to see. Yeah. That, um, Holy One of Israel, you're going to see over and over again. Yeah. Okay? On this... On this account, the anger of the Lord is burned against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. So see, there's he's he's even helping you explain what an uplifted hand oracle is, yeah. it seems like. Right. So he told us there, okay, and the mountains quaked and their corpses lay in their like refuge in the middle of the streets. For all this, his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. Yeah. So that's actually, in my mind, this is the best explanation of what a uplifted hand oracle is. Because right. he already told you. He says, I've struck them. And yeah. then and they didn't get it. The anger so is not spent. Yeah, yeah. So I stretched up my hand again. Yeah. yeah. And then now look at verse 26. He will also lift up a standard to a distant nation. He will whistle for it from the ends of the earth. Now we know that distant nation is Assyria. Right. So if this, if this is historically under, understood, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure Isaiah has a, a pretty good history understanding what's going on. So he, that would probably be like then um, the like the Syria-Ephraimite war when mm. the northern kingdom and, and Syria went against Judah. Yeah. So that would be the first part. And then now he's got the Assyrians coming. So, right. so I think that helps us understand what those oracles are all about. Yeah. You're kind of saying like this first swipe of the hand, I guess, mm-hmm. was the Syria-Ephraimite yeah, war. Like, I think so. This is not like a general kind of things could be bad or no. like this is a very specific reference and there's another one coming and it, that's when it's, that it, that one is Assyria. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, yeah. I might even say that Syria-Ephraimite wasn't the only thing because God, mm. had, it says earlier that God had brought the Philistines against them and Edom had come against them. Yeah, yeah. So, so in, but it was all in that time period of the Syria-Ephraimite war. So, yeah. so there's a bunch of things that he's doing. And Israel still doesn't seem to get it. Yeah. Now remember, the Assyrians are the first nation that ever has a standing army. That means most nations, when there was a time of war, they just called their people. So they yeah. like be a, like a, we call them a militia, yeah. where they'd bring their pitchforks and stuff like that, you know. And and that's what they use for 
for a war. Yeah. The Assyrians had had a special group of people all set aside yeah. just for, this is the only thing they did. So I assume they trained all time. Right, right. This is the only thing they did. Now, the picture of them is in these next couple of verses. So, so he's going to whistle for that distant nation. Mm-hmm. Now look at verse 27. No one in it is weary or stumbles, none slumbers or sleep, nor, nor is the belt at its waist undone, nor is his sandal strap broken. Its arrows are sharp, all those bows are bent. The, horse, the hoofs of his horses seem like flint and its chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Its roaring is like a lioness and it roars like a young lion's. It growls as it seizes the prey and it carries them off with no one to deliver them. Now that actually, that actually pictures Assyria really well. Mm. They were strong. They were quick. Um, Well equipped. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like uh, if, if they had a sandal thong that was broken, they'd fix it before they ever went to war. Right. You know, so everything is perfect. Um, and then when it says, uh, and it growls as it seizes a prey and carries it off with no one to deliver it. Yeah. Because there was no one more powerful than Assyria at this right. time. That pictures them really well. And they would actually take people. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, remember, they're the first ones too, also yeah. to, to deport people. Yeah. So, so that, that fits them really well again. Yeah. Now look at verse 30. And it will growl over it in that day like the roaring of a sea. If one looks to the land, behold, there is darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by the clouds. Now, that phrase is kind of interesting, That last, uh, those last two phrases, because we're going to see them again in chapter 8, where he talks about the land being dark and distress. And, mm. distress. and, and it's, at that time, it's the Syro-Ephraimite war, at least, I think. Yeah. But, but remember, it, goes, it probably has more and goes into the uh, time the Assyrians come too. Right. So, right. so it's interesting. You'll see those again, those same kind of terms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. Okay, so that's the first one. And, and I think it's the most full because yeah. it actually explains what a, a, a uplifted hand oracle is. And so when you said this is unique, is it, it's unique to Isaiah. Is yeah. it unique to just these two instances as well? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, the closest one was that one in verse 25, but that seems like it's explaining yeah. what it is. So that was, but that phrase um, is his hand is, is stretched out and, and, and hand, his hand is against him. Yeah. So, so that's how you know. Oh, interesting. That's what it means then. To have your hand stretched out. Yeah. For God to have his hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to look at the next, the four? Yep. Where, and where are they? Chapter so they are nine? in chapter nine. Yep. And now all the other ones are going to have that for all of this, uh, his hand is still uh, stretched out. So they're going to have that phrase at the end. And the reason mm-hmm. is, is because now he's going to punish then he's going to have that that little statement. He's going to punish some more, right. then have that statement. Then right. he's going to have punish some more and have that statement. Yeah. And I remember that the key for this is, I think, is that God's given them a chance to repent and and right. you know uh, turn their way, return from their ways. And if they don't, he can then bring. This more. is the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Should we look at them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where start, are we going to start in chapter nine? Uh, uh, verse eight. Verse eight. Okay. Yep. So here's what it says. The Lord sends a message against Jacob and it falls on Israel and all the people know it. Oh, when it, he sends a message against Jacob. Remember Jacob and Israel is same people. So it's basically, it's coming and it's falling. And now he sends it and it's going to fall on them. I I always used to think that was two different nations, but it's not. So yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. That is Ephraim uh, and the inhabitants of Samaria. I, I should let you know this. The name Ephraim was going to pop up regularly, mm. and that's because the northern kingdom, almost all that's left of them is the highlands of Ephraim uh, oh. because the Syrians had – now, remember, not us Syrians. The Syrians yeah. had basically taken over a lot of their land. Yeah. So so around the uh, – you know, the all the way to the coast where there'd be uh, several tribes there, and then Ephraim was basically right in the middle of that hill country. Country, okay. And that's pretty much all there is left of Israel. Wow. Okay. So that's becoming the term yeah. for the Northern Kingdom, essentially. Yes. Okay. Yep. And it's because that's all that's left. That's really, yeah. yeah. All right. So that is Ephraim. I'm in verse nine. That mm-hmm. is Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, asserting in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild them with smooth stones. Let, let me just stop there. Do you see what that was happening? Now, first of all, he's already warned you. This, this is pride and arrogance. What would it mean the bricks have fallen down and we will rebuild them with, with smooth to stones? To me, that sounds like 
Bricks are construction material designed to okay. create buildings. Stones are using what you have available to rebuild. Oh, I'm glad that I asked. Oh, oh good. <laughs> because, <laughs> because bricks at that point would have been sunbreak bricks. So, okay. so they would have been cheap. Oh, so this is... Stone is a better material exactly. for building. So, well, so, I'm glad I, you told me that too. <laughs> well, I'm actually glad we did that because yeah. that shows their pride and arrogance, right? Oh, oh, oh we've been punished and, and our yeah. bricks have fallen down, but we're going to come back even stronger than ever. Yep. Okay. Does that make sense? Now, the yeah, second, yeah, one, yeah, yeah, the second one might make even more sense. Um, the sycamores have been uh, cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And even better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that one probably is a little easier because you know the cedars of Lebanon are like the best building materials yeah. possible. Yeah. Okay. So I just thought I'd better make sure what they're saying. No, but that's it, good. But it even told us. It, they say this in pride and arrogance. So yeah. that's how you knew yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea is kind of going to show that. What we're replacing that. is yeah. better than what we had. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Therefore, the, uh, I'm sorry. Therefore, the Lord raises against them adversaries from resin. The adversaries don't come from resin. They could be namely resin. I mean, he is going to be the adversary. He's going to come right. against Judah. So, right. so it's more adversaries from resin. They're not adversaries against resin. They're, he's the one that's bringing them. Okay. 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 And spurs their enemies on. The Arameans on the east and the Philistines on the west. Mm -hmm. So the, the Arameans, now remember, usually the Syrian, that, that's another name for Syria. Okay. They're, they're in the north usually, but now that says they're coming around from the east. And right. they actually, in the history books, um, if you look at first, uh, Second Kings, it actually shows you that they actually had already gone down and got their seaport, mm. uh, Ebion Gezer, down on the, the Red Sea. Yeah. And they had already conquered that. Wow. So, so this, it, once again, historically, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. So he's sending these against them. All right. And the Philistines are always on the West. I mean, that's yeah. where they live. Okay. Yeah. And they devour Israel with gaping jaws. And what that means is they're eating up the land so that now mm. they, Israel controls even less and less. And that's why uh, they're called Ephraim now. Right. Because right, there's sure. so little They've land They've lost left. so much. Right. Yep. In spite of all this, his anger is, uh, does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. So what's that mean? Well... God has brought all the stuff on. Yeah. His anger is still not sated. Yeah. So He's there's still, still more. Yeah. There's yeah. more coming. Good. All right. Look at verse 13. Yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them. So see, that's, remember, that, that also helps you know that's probably the reason for these punishments is right. to, to get their attention in hopes that they'll turn back to God. And it... And he's saying, it's not working. Yeah, it's already. Okay. Yeah. Nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. For the for the Lord cuts off head and, and tail from Israel, both palm branch and bulrush in a single day. It's using a picture first, yeah. and then it's going to explain it. Okay. The head is the elder and the honorable man. The prophet is uh, who teaches falsehood is the tail. So here's a here's a, a palm branch. It's going to be the big thing up on top. Yeah. So those would be like the leaders and stuff yeah. like that. And then the bulrushes are the low things. So it's it's, yeah. it's got the contrast between the higher things sure. and the lower things. Then it talks about the head of the horse yep. and then and the, the tail. tail. But actually, I don't think it means tail. I yeah, think it right. means what's connected to the right. tail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in God's mind, the false prophets are the lowest of the low. Yeah. And that's because they're, they're deceptive. They yeah. claim they're talking for God. In fact, they're doing their own messages or talking from you know Satan even, you yeah. know, really. But so, that's what we're really seeing here is yeah. like, the highest, most honorable people all the way to the very worst. Yeah. And Every, notice, everyone's going to get it. And you notice it said in a single day. Yeah. So that, and even if that doesn't mean one day, it, yeah. it sure means in quick uh, right. succession. So, so he's going to remove all of them. And in actual fact, in the Northern Kingdom, it did happen really quick. Uh, Sennacherib comes down, wipes out, uh, actually it's Sargon comes down and wipes out Samaria. And it, it, it took him about three years or two years, but at the end it fell really quick. Yeah. So so it's just a fast thing. Yeah. All right. So the the head is the elder and honorable man. The prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. For those who guide these people lead them astray, and those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. So the the leaders are leading them astray, and the the people are just following it. You mm -hmm. know. So they're they're they don't know what's going on. 
Therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor have pity on their orphans or widows. Now, that's got to be a shocking statement, right? Because yeah. God always takes care of the orphans and widows. Right. This must be telling you they're so corrupt yeah. that even the orphans and widows aren't listening. Right. Okay, so right. you very rarely see that. This is like one of the few times you'll see in the Old Testament where God's not taking care of the orphans and widows. Well, let me ask you something here, because sure. what was interesting in 16, you know, we, we got back, I mean, this idea has shown up before that the leaders are corrupt. Yes. We've already seen yeah. that, you know, previously. Yeah. Um, whenever in verse 15, we're saying the head is the elder and honorable man, uh-huh. when it's saying honorable, that's like a hot, that just means like the leader, yeah. not like that these are good leaders no, per no, se. No, it's no. just like the top of society yeah. to the false prophet, which is the bottom of society. it probably mean the ones that should be honorable men. Right. That's probably more what it means. Right. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure about okay. that. Okay. All right. For every one of them is godless. I'm, I'm in the second part of verse 17. And an evildoer. So even the orphans and widows wow. are godless and evildoers. Yeah. So that, that gives you some clue. And every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still stretched yeah, out. There it is again. So more is coming. Yeah. I, this actually really, I think this is neat that it's showing us we have a gracious God. He can call off this punishment at any moment, mm. but they don't get it. And, they, yeah. and he can't call it off because they're still so wicked. Yeah. Yeah. So when, you're, when we read these, are we seeing, is this temporal in a way? Like, are we supposed to be reading this as like this first thing kind of happened, uh, like from, you know, in chapter nine, verses eight through yeah. 12, that yeah. happened and God's hand was came up again. And then That's a good this question. happened, or do you think it's more just a progression of... Wickedness. Um, yeah, yeah. It's more... Um, right. I've been thinking it's a little of both. Mm. And the reason I say that is because we know that in Israel's history, they just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And even when God punished them... They didn't get it, and they just kept getting worse. Yeah. So I actually think it's a little of both. A little of both, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 18? Yeah. Yeah. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns. Now, that's a phrase you're going to see often also in the book of Isaiah. Do you remember, uh, we, yeah, saw, we it saw it in the, the vineyard. The, yeah, the exactly. The vineyard, right? He takes away the, um, the, yeah, he the takes fence, the, or yeah. the rock fence, yeah. and, and it those becomes briars in. and thorns. Right. Later on, we're going to see that God will burn up the briars and thorns. So what it's, it's actually saying that, bri- well, you know, briars and thorns are weeds. Yeah. So it's basically saying that the, the, the vineyard is going to become a wasteland. Yeah. And basically that's what happens here. These, these, well, he's, he's basically burning them up. So I, I guess what that's saying is he's punishing them because that's, that's what's mm. going on here. Yeah. Um, for the wickedness burns like fire. Well, he didn't burn them, but what he did is he brought on uh, pressure and, and nations yeah. and stuff like that to punish yeah. them. Right. Yeah. All right. Even uh, sets the uh, thickets and the forests aflame and they roll uh, upward in a column of smoke. Or by the fury of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up. And the people are like fuel for fire. No man spares his brother. Now, this, is, this was interesting. Look what they say. They slice off what is on their right hand, but still they're hungry. They eat what is on the left, so they're not satisfied. Each one of them eats the flesh of his own arm. Mm. Ephraim, or Manasseh devours Ephraim, Ephraim Manasseh, and together they are against Judah. First of all, we got civil war going on. Actually, it's civil yeah. war almost all over. So yeah. the northern kingdom is fighting against the southern kingdom. And, and it looks like often when, when they can't get enough food, that's, that's, a, that's a basically a curse from God. So they're mm. doing all they can to, to get as much food as they can, and still they're hungry. Well, yeah. that's because God's punishing them. Yeah. Okay. So Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. Now, remember, we do know the northern kingdom ganged up on Judah at yeah. that time in the Syro-Ephraimite war. Yeah. So that makes yeah. sense. Then in spite of all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still stretched out. There's more coming. There's more coming. And look at this next one. Chapter 10 is, woe to those who uh, enact evil statutes, who, those who constantly record unjust decisions. So as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people for the, for, of their rights, so that the widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Dude, about, that's like about the lowest you can get. You yeah. Know, what's, what's a widow and orphan going to have that you got to steal from them? Right. You know, right. I mean, they can't be it's that rich. It's a step rich. beyond not. It, it's already evil to not take care of yeah. them. Yeah. Now and you're now, taking advantage of yeah. them. 
And I don't know if you saw this before, but when we were talking about the woes, they had stuff like that. The 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 things of the poor are in your houses. Do you remember that oh, phrase? Right, right. Yeah. So they were, right. they're stealing their stuff and yeah. they're not even trying to hide it. They're yeah. putting them in their houses. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, what will you do in the day of punishment? In the uh, in the devastation which will come from afar, there's another hint that it's going to be a distant nation that's yeah. going to come. To whom will you uh, flee for help? Where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch, crouch among the captives or fall among the slain. None of those are very wow. good options, no, are they? That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right. In spite of all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still stretched out. And then remember the next boat where he called, is Assyria. talking about Assyria. Right. Yeah. Right. So does that make sense? Do you see how those war oracles work? And I think the first one is the most helpful. The uplifted hand oracles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 So that, and it's interesting, actually, this last one, you, like, if you're not paying attention, you may assume that one is a woe oracle yes. as well, because it yeah, has this kind of key thing it. with woe, right? Yeah. So what do you think defines this as an uplifted hand or because the end part is more, yeah. and because it's such a unique yeah. format? because you don't see it anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. I just think it, it fits the structure so well. Well, too. and this woe oracle would not fit with this other one. Yeah. Because that's all about Assyria. The first, this first oracle, yeah. chapter 10, verses one through four being the last uh, uplifted hand oracle yeah. fits in much more closely uh, yeah. to the previous ones. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would even say that a uplifted hand oracle is is a type of a woe oracle. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, Cause, yeah, Because yeah, woe yeah. oracles talking about judgment on them and yeah. uh, too bad for you kind of thing. Yeah. And it makes sense because an uplifted hand oracle is that exact same right. kind of thing. Something's coming. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because of your, your yeah. evil. All right, now I think we're ready for the middle part. I know, it's been so <laughs> tough. We've read so many hard things, I think. Yeah. Uh, difficult in terms of just content, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, now, the good thing is we know that the Song of the Vineyard starts off with them really bad. Yeah. That the Song of Thanksgiving is them somehow God turns them around. Yeah. So in the process here, we've got somehow God's going to do it. Yeah. I think chapters six through nine or nine, one through six anyway, yeah. the first part of it is how he's going to do it. Yeah. Okay. So that's why this Isianic memoir is so important. Now, a couple things, almost most of it is in first person. Yeah. Um, that, that'd be a big switch. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause almost none of the books in first person yeah. until you get to later parts. But if you look at chapter six, verse one, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. So you can see first person there. Yeah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me in verse six. Yep. Okay. Uh, then Seven, verse, he touched my mouth. Yeah. In verse yeah. eight, I heard the voice of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you see that. Then you get to verse se- or chapter seven and look at now, it came about in the days of King Ahaz, the son of Jotham. So now it's going to be actually in third person. Now let's look at eight. Take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters. Uh, swift is the booty, speedy is the prey, and I will uh, take to myself faithful witnesses. So I approach the prophetess. So you can see it goes back to first person. Yep. Now, and it, it goes all the way to chapter nine. So what's interesting is that chapter seven is the only one in this whole Isaiah memoir that's not first person. Do you remember uh, we talked about Isaiah being a scribe? Yeah. And Second Chronicles told yeah. us that. Remember, it says during the time of Uzziah, so my understanding is that maybe Isaiah wrote this down as part of the historical re- annals, mm. and that, and why repeat it? So now he can just put it right into here. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I think happened is that he takes something that he's already written, yeah. even though it's not in first person, he was the one that wrote it. Right, So right. he can stick it in here, I think. Yeah. So I think that's what happened. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, chapter six. Remember, I told you that the book is not in chronological order. Yes. So I've got Isaiah's call about 740, 740, 739, somewhere in there. But but we know that uh, chapter one was talking about uh, 701 when the when Mm -hmm. Jerusalem is sticking up like a in a vineyard field field, or a cucumber field or something. So we know that that that's like 701. So this is not in chronological order. It sounds like what they're doing is they're shaping it. By themes, and yeah. and you kept seeing that same Israel is gonna uh, or Zion is gonna be restored, a remnant is gonna be spared. 
there's going to be judgment on the wicked. So you keep seeing that seam, those seams over and over again. Yeah. And so you've got them in chapter one, you've got them in two through four, you've got them in five through 12, 12 again, yep. only just each time they get more detailed and more detailed. Yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting, I think. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's not how we would probably think about yes. a book like this. And that's why I think it gets so hard to know what's I going on so. here. Yeah. If you don't know the history, this book is really hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah. But this timeline, I think, will actually help you. So we're going to talk about in chapter six is going to be his call and commission. So that's about 740. Yeah. Early. Okay. Yep. Then uh, chapter seven and, and eight are going to be pretty much around the Syro Ephraimite War. So about 733 to 732. Then in later, but uh, right at the end of, of uh, seven and eight, it talks about Samaria being destroyed and mm. it even talks about Sennacherib's attack. So, okay. so in seven and eight, it goes all the way to there. Cause it, cause in one point in chapter seven, it says, and guess who's coming on you? Even the Assyrians. Mm. Well, the only time that happened was in 701. It comes on into Judah. And the only time that happened was 701. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's. I think knowing the history really helps you on this book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is a good thing. And we've, we've, we've looked at this a few times, but this is a good one to keep coming back to, yeah. I think. Just to help place yeah. it in the timeline to kind of know where we are. Because yeah. it's, it's not easy. I mean, you know, really skipping ahead. We're not in chapter 7 today, but yeah, like... Yeah. You know, it starts off with in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. You know, that's yeah. that's just a little bit foreign to us, I think, to, to exactly. really have an idea of what periods we're talking about, you know. So having a chart like this is very helpful to, yeah, you know, I think so. to kind of graphically represent it. Yeah. In chapter six, we're going early. Isaiah's call. So do you yeah. think this is the earliest thing? This is the earliest thing in Isaiah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there may be things earlier, but you'd never know because a lot of them aren't dated. Oh, okay. Right? This yeah, one yeah. was actually this is pretty a, clear. This is specific. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Reem, I don't know if you remember, but at the very beginning, it said that it was, uh, this is a, a, prof, or a, a vision of Isaiah, Isaiah, the son of Amos, in the, the reigns of Uzziah was yeah. the first one. It sounds like the only time, thing that was in Uzziah's life is his death, his yeah. year he died, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when Isaiah is called. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. All right. So in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, first of all, do you know what a train is on a... a... I think so. Okay. What is it? It's kind of like in a cloth that extends yeah. down, right? Like in a wedding gown, the the. That's what I thought. I didn't behind. want to say that, yeah. though. <laughs> Because well, I am married, and I'm yeah. pretty sure my wife had one of those. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure, because otherwise, what's this talking about? Yeah. Now, so here's a picture of God sitting on his throne. It's in the same year that the real king, you know, the king on earth died. Yeah. So I think I think what it's getting at is, even though King Uzziah, the, the vice regent that God's called, is is dead, He's still up the there. The real king. Yeah. Yeah. Is is still doing his job. No no changes. Nothing's happened. Don't the, worry about it. And the train of his robe filling the temple. Is yeah. that kind of like not just the bigness of God, but like the yeah. highness of yeah. God, maybe? Like this is kind of a yeah. sign of glory. Now, I don't know when it says that uh, um, the train of his robe filling the temple. I don't know if that's the heavenly temple or mm. the earthly one, but wouldn't it be something if he's standing he's up in heaven? in his temple and this train went all the way down and oh, and came into the earthly sure. temple. I think that would make a lot of sense in the book too, because God is going to use Isaiah to bring his holiness. Because remember it says, and his holiness fills the earth. Yeah. Well, he's going to bring his holiness down. And part of the way he's going to do that is use Isaiah yeah. to tell them how wicked they are so that they know that God's holiness is different than them. So yeah. I think it's at least possible that that's, that's a, yeah, getting that's at that. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah, yeah. image, I think. All right. Oh, now, seraphim, that word means burning ones. Mm. Yeah, because it, it, it actually comes from the word fire, uh, to burn. Well, that okay? would make sense. Yeah. What we have coming up. Yeah, yeah, soon. okay. So seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So the, I'm assuming the two that are covering his face is so that they don't look on the holiness of God. Mm -hmm. So even a seraphim, an angel, that that's all their job is to is to call out God's holiness, can't even They're look not on God. Yeah. yeah. 
So that's, that's that. And then two, um, the two wings that are covering his feet, I'm sure that's for modesty purposes. So mm. it probably just means not just his feet, but all the rest his of the way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then with two, he flies. Okay. And one called to another. So I know there's at least two. Yep. I don't know how many seraphim there are, but yeah. there are at least two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Mm-hmm. So so that that would make a lot of sense if if you had him sitting up in heaven and then his train coming all the way down to the earth, that the earthly temple, it'd show the connection for them. I see. So maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. Well, when we get fullness again. Yeah. The earth is full. Yeah. And the you know, filled the temple was full too. Yeah. Okay. And the And fun- there's our word, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, holy. Yeah. Kadosh. Yeah. Good. Uh, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out uh, while the temple was filling with smoke. I remember that idea of a temple filling with smoke was, um, you could go all the way back to Solomon's temple, where mm-hmm. when he dedicated it, remembering God's presence came into it. So that was, a, it was seen in clouds. Yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. that's what's going on here. His presence is, is being displayed there. Okay. Okay. Um, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined. I don't think that's a very good translation. Hmm. Uh, it's the word dama and it means I'm silenced. I think, I think God's awe so caught a hold of Isaiah that he couldn't speak. Yeah. And I think that's what was going on. He was just silenced in God's presence for, hmm. I, I think it's in awe to tell you the truth. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, remember, Isaiah is probably the most godly person at that time, and he even realizes how unholy he is in the presence of a holy God. Mm-hmm. So, so it's helping you to see what it's, what it's like to see God's holiness. Okay, and the idea of unclean yeah. lips. Yeah, yeah. Are we getting into speech, yeah. what lips represent, kind of? Yes, but I also think later on, do you remember, uh, Seraphim comes out and touches his lips. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think it's I think it's like uh, in the New Testament when when uh, um, Peter uh, Jesus says to Peter that he wants to wash his feet and he says, oh, don't want, just wash my feet, wash all of me. And he he says, well, you're yeah. already clean. All you need to do is have your feet washed. Yeah. I think that's what's going on here. He's going to touch his lips, purify those so that he can be a messenger for God. Mm. And, I, and I'm assuming that means his whole body is cleansed, but, but, I, yeah, but I think- it's that, representative. Yeah, the, the lips of, of what he's going to be using for God. Well, and that'd be, that could be an interesting connection then to the translation you had of the word for Silence. ruined, of being yeah. silenced, maybe, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think Since so. Since he's being clean to mm-hmm. basically speak, really, yeah. to prophesy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he's, it's, that's why I think he's stunned. He's silenced because mm. he's just seeing God. Yeah. Numbers tells us that no one can see God and live. Yeah. So I, I, you've already been told that this is a vision. So I think that's what's going on here. Here's a vision of God that just changes Isaiah's life. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Then verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me with burning, a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, it has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Not very often do you see your sin is forgiven in the Old Testament. I was about to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's a, uh, yeah, you don't see that very often. See, usually you see your sin is covered. Mm. And I think I understand that to me. Compare, I understand it to mean that like, here's your sin. Blood is then put over them so that, that God doesn't look on your sin, that that, mm. that blood is there. Yeah. And, and so your sin is covered. That's usually what you see. But there's several times Jeremiah talks about your sins being forgiven and taken away. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. This one talks about your sins being forgiven. Yeah. So it's not very common, but it does occur. Yeah. Um, the Jeremiah passage is talking about the new covenant, them being removed from you even. Yeah. So so not just your sin is forgiven. Now at the new covenant, they, they're taken away. Yeah. So that's kind of neat. That is that is yeah. very neat. Yeah. And do you think on this one, this is more, uh, how far can we take this, do you think? This I, is really specific to Isaiah? 
Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. And I think he's getting at it. What he's talking about here is that he's now ready to be used by God. Yeah. Remember, he's, he saw his unworthiness uh, mm. previous to this. Now God's going to say, you know, your iniquity is taken away. So now you can be used to me. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening. Okay, then verse 8. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now that's interesting. The us, the plural mm. for the Godhead. That only occurs three places. Uh, one of them in Genesis. Um, okay. Actually, two of them in Genesis, and then this one. What's the Genesis one? Is that um, over the waters? Uh, that thing. Well, there's actually one after that where it says that He created man oh, in in our, our image, li- our image, yeah. likeness. Yeah. 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 So okay. I think it's that one too. I understand that to mean uh, when it says, "Who will go for us." The only thing that's been talked about in this context is the the seraphim. So mm-hmm. I think it's talking about the angels. So who will go for us? Meaning God could send angels, but he just as soon have somebody down there on earth that's actually working mm-hmm. for him. So I think the who will go for us is that one. It's, it's the angels. I don't think it's talking about um, the Godhead. Yeah. Um, the Godhead had not been explained yet for them. Mm. So in their minds, there's a God up there, but they don't know that he's made of yeah, different parts. Right, 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 right. So, so I think they understood that to mean who will go for us, meaning God and the angels who, who usually he sends to do his bidding. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it is interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't see that very often. Yeah. All right. Now the next part, the next couple of verses are really interesting. Then I said, here am I, send me. So here's Isaiah willing yeah. and able to go do it, okay? And so he said, and so God said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dulled, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. First of all, do you see how it reverses everything? Yeah. So you had a, um, their hearts being insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes. Then yeah, listening, he's going li- yeah, yeah. to reverse that. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, what that makes it sound like is that God does not want yeah, right. Isaiah's message to do its job, yeah. you know, to, to heal them. And in fact, I don't think that's exactly what it means. I think what it's getting at is that Isaiah will do his job. He'll tell them and he'll tell them over and over again. But they're not going to listen. Hmm. And, and I think what that's doing is that it's going to have an effect of hardening their hearts. When they, didn't know oh. God's, when they didn't know God's message, then it couldn't really harden their hearts because they didn't know it. Yeah. Now they're going to they're easily re, uh, go against God. And so they're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to harden and harden. So they're going to hear what Isaiah says. But yeah. they're not going to like it, and they certainly aren't going to do it. Yeah. So, so when it says, render the hearts of this people insensitive, it's by him telling God's message that's actually going to have that hardening effect to him. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's sad but true, and that's exactly what happened. Isaiah did his job, and in actual fact, they, didn't, they could care less. They, yeah. They're not going to change. Yeah. Okay, so so I, I I need to make sure that you understood that because that's that's kind of a hard. Uh, it's tricky. You it read is. that; it kind of seems like yeah. Why are we even? Yeah, why even send him? Yeah, but actually, there's an answer for that too. Hmm. God doesn't punish people until they know what God wants from them and they reject that. Yeah. yeah. So in actual fact, God has to send Isaiah because. Even if they're going to reject it, he has to give them that opportunity. And I think that's what's going on here. He's sending Isaiah, and Isaiah's going to do his job great, but the people are just going to reject it. So in a way, this justifies the punishment it will. coming? Yep, because God's clear. It's, there's a, I, I don't have the passage right here, but there's actually a passage that talks about God not punishing them because he had not sent his prophets yet to tell them. Mm. Now he's done it. And now he can punish them. Yeah. So it's it's pretty clear. And he'll display his mercy with the remnant. Yeah. 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 Where they will they will actually obey. And, yeah. And right. turn. Right. Yeah. Isaiah gets it because he he sees. Wait a minute. It says it says my. It sounds like what's going to happen is that as I tell yeah. him my message, it's it's not going to work. Yeah. And so he gets that. So he said. Then he says, Lord, how long? So he mm. even asked the question, well, so he, he, he must think, 
that that can't be the ult, the final word because yeah. otherwise the nation will never turn back to God. Yeah. And so he says he, he must have an understanding that there's, there must be some time that they turn around. Mm-hmm. And so he answers. So here's God's response. Until cities are devastated and without inhabitants, houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed peop- uh, men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Mm. Now, let me just stop there. What's that sound like? Well, like uh, everyone's been taken away. So exile, the, right? Yeah, right. So, so he, he, so God's response to how long is it going to be is until all the people are taken to Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Now remember, Northern Kingdom is going to be taken to Assyria, but but that's yeah. the response until the people are taken away. They don't get it. They're not gonna yeah. repent. Yeah. Okay. Now remember, we've talked about this. When they do come back from Babylon, remember, it's a righteous remnant because they care more about coming to build the temple and stuff yeah. like that than yeah. they're, than get, and they, that means they have to give up all the stuff they've accumulated for the last 70 years almost. And this would be like Nehemiah. Yeah. Ezra. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So I want, I want to show you something. Because the next verse is going to be really interesting. Okay. Okay. And historically... If you understand it, it'll make a lot of sense. Okay, so let's see if we can figure it out. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it. So it sounds like there's going to be, I've got here, one destruction, and there's going to be a tenth left. How many How many tribes were in there in the, the north? In the north there were ten, right? Ten, yeah. yeah. So, so the ten tribes are taken away. So he says, and there's going to be a tenth portion left. That means Judah is the only tribe that's going to be left. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So there will be a 10th portion in it and it will again be subject to burning. Mm -hmm. So I've got the second destruction and I've got that as 586. So the first one is 722 when the Northern kingdom is taken off into captivity. Then you've got the second destruction when 586, when the Judah is taken off. Yeah. Okay. All right. And it will be subject to burning like a terebinth or oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So he's basically saying, after you have two destructions, a remnant is going to come out and it's going to be a holy remnant that he calls the holy seed. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's a percentage of a percentage. Yeah, 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 it sure sounds like you know, it. Like, so you've got a tenth portion and then so one, one tenth left yeah. and then some are going to be brought from that. Yeah. Okay? Wow. Yeah, so you've got what looks like to me a pretty clear message. Okay, so how long is it going to be, God? Well, until people are taken off. And let me explain. There's going to be two parts that they're going to be taken off. Yeah. First, the Assyrians are going to take off a portion. Then the uh, Babylon's going to take off a portion. And then what will come back is a remnant. Yeah. So he, he, just, he just gave them God's plan for the next, well, at least for the next 500 years in their mind, right? right. So, so it, well, actually, it wasn't quite that long because Isaiah is happening about 700s, right? Okay. So let's say if he's, he's saying in 700s, he's giving the plan for the next 200 years. Right. Okay? Right. So they're going to come back in 539. Yeah. Or 538, really. Yeah. So, so for about the next 150 years... You're going to have destruction and stuff like that. They're going to be taken away. There's no. There's going to be very few inhabitants in the land, and then a remnant will come back. And I mean, at this point, because they're just talking about events, Isaiah wouldn't necessarily know. I don't think so. But it's past his life. Yeah, yeah. Like it, you know. Yeah. Now he'll know. He'll know what he said here. Yeah. Right. So right. there's going to be two destructions, and then there's going to be a holy seed that's left after that. How long that's going to take? I think he has any idea. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that neat? So what we that just is, yeah. so what we just done is we went through two sections of our palestrophe. Remember the, the yeah. week before we talked about oh, two yeah, yeah, sections. Yeah. Yep. We talked about the songs yeah, and the, the very woe, ends and the woe oracles. Yep. Now we've talked about the uplifted a, a, hand yeah, oracles. Further in, yeah. And we just talked about the his call and commission. The beginning of the center of the palestrophe. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like to me, he's done a really good job of setting the, the parameters up for him. Yeah. Um, in fact, you got that one when, when he asked the question, how long is it going to be? Because he doesn't think that could be the final word for Israel. And God tells him, well, here's my plan. Yeah. So, so yeah. I think that's neat. God's, God's graciously letting Isaiah know 
how long it's going to take. Well, he he won't know exactly how long, but but he does know it's going to be some time off because yeah. the people are going to be taken out of the land. And this really defines what Isaiah says, the whole book of Isaiah, yeah. really, right? And now, especially when you get to the second part, right? Because mm-hmm. they're now, uh, from 40 on, is basically them coming back, and it's talking about that remnant. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, that's, you know, my favorite my favorite book in the Old Testament is Jonah. Oh, yeah. You it just is, said that. He's so opposite. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like everything is so opposite. It seems <laughs> yeah. like Isaiah is yeah. a good prophet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jonah is like the worst, you know. But he's also really successful. God uses him in spite of everything, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting here that it's like, he's, it's like Isaiah is going to be doing this. What, what did we say? 60 years, yeah. possibly, yeah. prophesying, you know, as yeah. a prophet. Yeah. And like, you know, he may not know how far this is going to go, but it's it's past his life. Yeah. This exactly. message, you know, his message is going to continue and it's going to be yeah. a hardening message until finally. <laughs> Sad, but true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even Isaiah caught that, didn't he? He said, well, how long then? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he, he gets it. It's going to be a long, hard road. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, I think it's interesting what you said. Jonah is like the worst prophet. Isaiah is one of the best, and it doesn't work. Yeah, you know he does yeah. his job well, and right. they look at him, but just don't listen. I, I assume that's that's a good message for us today, right? Mm. Isaiah was obedient. He was doing his job, and the people just could care less. Yeah, and so there's going to be days when we're going to feel that same way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's probably a good sermon point, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, yeah. it, it's more important to be obedient yeah. and successful. Those are not always the same. Yeah, same exactly. Thing. Well, that's good. Hey. Uh, that got us through chapter six. Yep. We're in the center of the palestrophe. Yeah. You've told me before the podcast started, you've got some really good stuff to go over in chapter seven. Yeah. It, it's a, It'll take us at least an hour to okay. talk through it. It's well, a... That's good. Yeah. We'll get to the complex yeah. part then. Yeah. Uh, and we can save that for our next episode. One thing, just to give you a little preview, yeah. seven and eight are covering about the same time period, but chapter eight looks like it's even closer because okay. it says by the time this child, and it's a, I think it's a different child, mm. but by the time this child can say mommy and daddy or yeah. Avi and Ami, and that usually a child can say that about a, in a year. Yeah. Okay, but in chapter seven, it looks like it's a little time away, a little further away. Okay. So you've got two, talk, both talking about the Syro-Ephraimite war and the the ramifications of what that's going to do to the nation. And, yeah. and and in fact, it goes beyond that because both seven and eight go not only from the Syro-Ephraimite war, but all the way to 701. And, mm. I, and I'll show you where it does that so you can see. Okay. Yeah. So then maybe good homework. Yeah. Homework for... Next episode would be maybe se- read seven and eight because they are yeah. kind of close. Yeah. We'll only go over seven next week, but yeah. it'd be good to read both. Yeah. Because then when we get to it, it'll make a lot of sense because yeah. you've already done some of the Yeah, some of the lifting it. in seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think another good thing is if you can go online hmm. and and look on what's called the Cyro Ephraimite War, that would okay. be actually really helpful because it'll tell you. It will more likely it'll show you a picture of mm. what happens, and and so then when I talk about it, it'll make more sense. And I'll have <laughs> I have a picture of the of Syria and Israel and stuff like that. But yeah, but if you've already read it, that that will probably really even okay. help more. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. helpful. Maps are always helpful. Yeah, <laughs> it's always great to get an understanding. I like maps at scale of this area too. Yeah, because um, hey. all these people were living a lot closer than. <laughs> that's right. I like to imagine normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good homework. Yep. Chapter seven, chapter eight. Read about the the Syro Ephraimite War. Yep. And uh, and get ready because um, we'll be getting into it again next time. Uh, so again, I just want to say thank you. We do this every time, but thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Doctor Wagner. Yeah. Uh, and be sure you join us next episode as we continue to study Isaiah. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Yeah. <laughs>